Well, good morning, Christian Life family. In case nobody has told you, you are loved, you are missed, and you are prayed for every single day. Before we get into the Word today, I want to talk to you briefly about a couple of things. Number one, we hope that you've received the letter or the email or seen the video about our reopening on June 7th. We have um, a plan that will get us open incrementally over the summer. And hopefully by the end of the summer, we're at a, a regular full functioning schedule. We have a lot of things to consider and a lot of hoops to jump through, but we believe we have a plan that will work. So if you haven't seen that video or read the email or the letter, it's there in your box waiting for you. And uh, we encourage you to get um, ready for the uh, days ahead. God is going to bless us. As we explained in the video and in the letter, live streaming will continue in perpetuity or till the Lord comes. But, um, uh, and we're thankful for our live stream congregation, but, uh, and it will continue, but we will begin to come back together on June 7th. Now, the second thing, well, actually June 3rd, that Wednesday night, uh, but the details are in the letter. Um, I also want to mention to you something that we do every year about this time in May, and we had put it off for a few weeks, not knowing what um, we were going to be facing and how our schedule would look, but we're going to go ahead and have our traditional um, uh, Associate Pastors Appreciation Day. Every May, the staff of associate pastors are honored by you and presented to you. And uh, our tradition is to receive a love offering for them to say thank you. And I've got to tell you something. Every year I brag on them. But every one of our associate pastors has really risen to the occasion during this uh, pandemic and um, made extra efforts to try to keep in touch and try to serve the needs of the congregation. So there is no better time to say thank you to these guys and their families. And um, we're going to remind you of it next Sunday and then June 7th. We're going to take two Sundays um, to remind you that you can give a special gift to them. Um, in fact, I can go ahead and tell you now the, the key word for text giving for the associate pastors is simply the word pastors. Some of you may want to go ahead and do that now, but we're going to be honoring them over the next couple of Sundays. And we want you to, to really be a part of that and say thanks to these guys and for the phenomenal job that they've done. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, as our tradition is, as we get started with the word today, let's join our hearts together wherever you are and let's recite the Lord's Prayer as we turn our hearts toward heaven today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. As we continue what we began last Sunday, we said that we would take a couple of weeks 
to help everybody review where we started this year and get caught up, be refreshed in our mind, this theme of building godly generations. We also wanted to take a couple of weeks to give those that are new to the Christian Life family a chance to get caught up as well. And we talked about those uh, foundational stones based on the Ten Commandments. Um, we've covered two of those in just a couple of weeks. We're going to go to number three. But we chose to review um, beginning last week and continuing this week. And this week we want to talk about the, the five days of encounter. Now we covered this uh, months ago and then gave a review of it in January because we believe it's so foundational to what God is doing in our midst and what he's saying to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the full notes available to you. I'm not going to take time to re-preach that message and go over in detail everything that we talked about. The, the notes are pretty self-explanatory, but we do want to hit the highlights and we want to talk about how to process this thing that God is doing. Now, excuse me. Some of the most sobering words of Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, are found in Matthew 23, verse 37. He literally had just hours, just a, a handful of days left to live on this earth before his crucifixion and of course his resurrection and ascension. But he looked out over the city and he did that from the perspective of the mountains surrounding the city. And every time I've been to that place, I love Jerusalem and I love that view. The, we don't know exactly where Jesus was, but we know the area. And as I stand there and look out over the city, this verse comes to mind. It's, it's so, as I said, sobering and so phenomenal. Jesus looked out over that city and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets or kills the prophets and stones everyone sent to them. How often I wanted to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing and you didn't understand the hour of your visitation. It's a, it's a deeply, deeply disturbing thought to realize that God Almighty has come to your life, to your church, to a nation, to a community, and He comes for the purpose of visitation, and we absolutely miss it. We absolutely miss it. It's what happened to Israel when Jesus came the first time. They knew the scripture. They knew where he was to be born. They knew the prophetic implications of Messiah coming, but they missed it. That's what Jesus said about Jerusalem. You didn't understand that this was the hour of your visitation. And loved ones, as Christians, we need to be very much aware that it is possible for us to miss the very moment of God's visitation in our life. Now, missing that visitation might not send us to hell just because we don't understand all God is doing. We don't go to hell for not understanding. But I also want you to know that God has enabled us through the indwelling Holy Spirit to hear His voice 
And he said, uh, my sheep know my voice. Paul put it this way. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So when we talk about these days of encounter, when we're talking about our life for the Lord, we're not talking about us, you know, mustering up our spiritual sensitivities and becoming super spiritual and, and um, being, as one person said, so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But we do need to understand that we are on a journey and as we're on this journey, God is wanting to not only save us, that's, that's the biggest thing, but that's just step one. That's just the process in its beginning. We turn from death to life and we receive his eternal life when we receive Jesus as Lord. But that's not it. It's not just about making a decision and then waiting for us to die or for Jesus to return and continue life as normal. We, we are taken on a holy journey. We are taken on a holy process of going from one step to the other, recognizing his, his visitation, the time of his visitation. I've been preaching here at this church for almost 26 years. And when I first came, I explained to the church the process we were on. When we moved here, all of our kids were little. One of them was still in a stroller. And um, we didn't have a lot of outside activities. Uh, it's hard for a, you know, for a family of six to everybody like the same thing. But one thing everybody seemed to like, there were two things actually, we loved to camp. And number two, we loved to go walking through the mall. And that was a good, affordable evening out in those early days. And the thing about walking through the mall, we said every week that we started at Sears and went to Dillard's. That was our, that was our expedition. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it was when you realized that Ramona and I had four children of different ages and different interests. And all along the way, this child wanted to stop at this store. This child wanted to stop at that store. The third child wanted to stop at another store. I can't tell you what a challenge it was to get from Sears to Dillard's. And that is the way the Christian life is, and especially in the context of a church. You've got kids that are this high and kids that are this high and this high and some that are still lap babies, but they're all part of the family. Now, I tell you one thing we never did. We thought about it a couple of times, but we never did it. When one of the kids lagged behind, we never looked at him and said, all right, you're on your own. You just stay there at the candy store. Your sister wants to go to the toy store and we can't do both. So you're on your own. We never did that. We realized that as good parents who love their children more than they love life, it was our job to get them not only from Sears to Dillard's, but to get them all from Sears to Dillard's and not only to get them from Sears to Dillard's, all of them, but to get all of them there at the same time. That's called the Christian journey. And that's why in the average church, you have brand new baby Christians. You have saints of God that have lived for him longer than I've been alive and everything in between. But it's this process. That's what we preach here at Christian Life. We want everyone to surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to give him 
the place of lordship, but we also want everyone to find their destiny in Christ, their maturity in Christ, their inheritance in Christ. And what we find is that God calls his people that are really following him, he calls them a remnant. And it seems that sometimes a remnant can almost be a a small group. That's what remnant means. It's a small part of a whole. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. <coughs> you see, it's not just a matter of coming to church and becoming a member or paying your tithe or making a donation and, and treating church like you would the Kiwanis or Rotary or a union no, church becomes a family and it becomes a way of life. But what we have to be aware of is that when Paul was speaking to the pastors, the elders at the church of Ephesus, this is what he said. He said, I know after my departure, grievous wolves will rise up among you, seeking to destroy the flock and to tear away what God has done. And he said, it'll happen from the inside and it'll happen from the outside. So he said, the job of every Christian is to be diligent that you keep the faith, to be diligent that you're a part of a church that moves forward. You know, I said weeks ago, the worst thing that can happen to us in this pandemic from a spiritual perspective is to just focus on getting through this unscathed. And we successfully get through unscathed, but we also are unchanged. We don't want to get through this and just say we've gotten through this. We want to get through this with this in mind. We're getting through this and I am becoming more like Jesus in the process. Recently when I was praying, I'd had a day that was just really, really bad. I, I don't want to go into the details because it would just depress you and it'll depress me to think about it. But I was just having one of those days... I don't want to overstate it, but let's just call it the day from hell, okay? I had one of those days, and, and it just seemed like I couldn't get out of that funk, and it went well into the night. And I, as I began to feel things change, and I began to get my bearings again, and I, I, know, I know you probably don't have days like that, but I, I have enough for all of us. And as I was beginning to get my bearings again, I really felt the Spirit of the Lord ask me three questions. And I believe that, that these three questions are what every one of us need to answer. Number one, talking about this pandemic and this process, I felt the Lord ask me this, what have you learned? What have you learned? My goal is not to just get through this. My goal is to get through this with wisdom. What have you learned? The second thing I felt the Spirit of the Lord ask me is, as you go through this pandemic, into what are you leaning? What I mean by that is our lives, we're always leaning into something, leaning into the Lord, leaning into the flesh. God forbid we might lean into something that's not healthy. But he asked me, into what are you leaning? Okay, what have you learned? What are you, uh, into what are you leaning? And number three, it, it really rattled me a little bit because... I wasn't expecting this perspective. He said, what will your legacy be that you leave behind? 
I want to ask you, as we go through this pandemic, we're getting ready to come back to some degree. Life is going to become more and more back to normal, hopefully. What have you learned? What are you leaning into? And what do you want to leave behind? What is your legacy? We're going to talk about legacy in a a few weeks down the road. But we said in this message on five days of encounter. Now, again, I'm not going to re-preach this, but I do want to bring it to your attention. It's there in the notes. And in your notes, um, we had the five words listed. And this is what we did. There's a story from the book of Acts that explains what God is doing. We had a second paragraph called the meaning of the word. We believe this is what God is saying to us. And then there's a third section called the burden of the Lord. What is the spiritual lesson that we're bringing out of these five words of encounter? And let me explain to you why I called them encounter. I said that coming out of prayer and a, a prayer retreat waiting on the Lord, I felt in my spirit that the Lord spoke to my heart that there are five things that every church will have to encounter within the next couple of years. And that, that was a year and a half ago. The next couple or three years, I, I didn't have an exact timeline. But every one of these five words are going to bring every church and every Christian in those churches to a point of decision about how we're going to live for the Lord and how closely we're going to follow him this far from this point on out. Um, the first word was the word filling, and you can go over it in your notes. It's from Acts 2. It was the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we said that we believe every church of the Lord Jesus Christ, every follower of Jesus, has got to decide how welcoming we are of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No mixed oils, you know, uh, no, no, no mixed power sources. Are we willing to be energized by the indwelling Holy Spirit? So the first word was the filling. The second word was the cleansing. It's from Acts chapter 5. A, a frightening story. Ananias and Sapphira lied about their giving to the church and, and they did it. And it wasn't a lesson that you got to give everything. That wasn't the lesson. In fact, Peter said, it's your money. You can do with it what you want. But they lied about their giving and they did it in order to become highly esteemed among the church members and, and to get a reputation that they didn't deserve. And we said that God is doing a work in churches and in our lives in the days ahead. Not only does he want to have a filling of the Holy Spirit, but he wants us to walk in a new cleansing. Um, the church began to grow in, in greater proportions. The fear of God was multiplied. People began to take the message of God seriously because in Acts chapter 5, God said, I'm going to have my people walk in, in, a, in a clean and pure way. The third word is the word correction. It's the story of the gospel being brought to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And there was a man there who was a magician. He had, he had spiritual things in his life long before he met Jesus. And not everything that's spiritual is of the Holy Spirit. 
And whenever uh, Peter and John came down and began to pray for the new disciples uh, in Samaria and they received the Holy Spirit, there were great demonstrations of power. And Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer said, give me the Holy Spirit. Let me pay you for this spiritual gift so that whenever I lay my hands on somebody, they have this kind of spiritual encounter that they have when you pray for them. And Peter said, your money perish with you. And it, it was, I'm not saying this in a profane sense, but it was a theological sense. Peter said, you perish in hell with your money for thinking that the gift of God can be merchandised. And I want to tell you, we have seen the merchandising of the gospel and the, and the boxing of the gospel for consumers for so long. God is doing a work of correction and he's saying that I will not allow the pure gospel or the things of the spirit to be merchandised any longer. Number four uh, word was the embracing. This is found in Acts chapter 10. Wow. What an, what an amazing story. Peter was uh, in prayer one day and he saw a vision in which there was a sheet let down from heaven with all kinds of animals. All of them were unclean to the Jewish mind. And the, the spirit said to Peter, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Now we learned the hard way that not so and Lord don't go together in a sentence. But he said, not so, Lord, because nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord was using the idea of unclean food to explain something to Peter. He says, Israel uh, has been devoted to their laws, their dietary restrictions, and to being a people peculiar to the Lord. But Peter, what I'm calling blessed and, and clean, you don't call unclean anymore. Now, there's a lot to be said about dietary restrictions. We don't live under those dietary restrictions. Um, Jesus, in uh, I think it was the Gospel of Mark, by one of his teachings, Mark said that by this he pronounced all food clean. We don't live by dietary restrictions. I say we as Christians. Now, Orthodox Jews still do. But he said it was more than something about food. It, it, now, it... it it was, it was about that, but it was about so much more. The events of Acts chapter 10 would lead to the, the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And the big question in Acts chapter 15 was, do I have to become a Jew first to become a Christian? Do I have to live by the laws that were peculiar to Israel to become a Christian? And Acts chapter 15 is huge because two things happened. Number one, the church says you do not have to live by Jewish laws to become a Christian. Number one. And number two, this is what he said. And this was huge. Gentiles are welcome into the family of God. This story was told multiple times. That's how important it was. And a lot of times we think that the only people God is willing to save are people just like us. That's what Israel thought. But you know what? The church thinks the same thing. God can save anybody as long as they become like us. 
But we said the fourth word, the fourth encounter that Christians are going to have is the understanding that God has cast the net into the world and whosoever will may come, even if they look different from us or have a different background in us. Now they need to come to terms with the word of God and they need to come to terms with the gospel. There's no way to the father, but through Jesus. But we've got to open our hearts to a greater harvest and then the fifth thing is from Acts chapter 12. And we said that God is going to show his church that he makes a distinction between those who believe and those who don't. Whenever God took care of Israel in the land of Goshen while they were uh, in Egyptian slavery, the Lord said to Pharaoh through Moses, understand this, you are about to learn that God makes a distinction between those who serve him and those who do not. Now that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this um, idea of encountering these, these five words. Now, what do we do when we talk about these five words? Well, let me encourage you to, to go through the notes to understand the story, to understand the meaning of the story, and to understand the burden of the Lord. Those are five words that have those three applications there in your notes. Again, we don't have time to go over all the details today. But I do want to explain something to you that I think is so vitally important. When you follow the Lord, you don't just follow him from afar. You don't just follow him as a portion of your life. Somebody explained the gospel this way. They said, um, there's more to your life than the gospel. They said, look at, a, look at a wagon wheel or a bicycle wheel, and you've got all of these spokes. All of them are necessary to make the wheel work. You've got um, schooling, you've got your job, you've got your family, you've got your business, you've got your leisure time, you've got this, this, this. And one of those spokes, they said, is Jesus. And Jesus needs to be one of the spokes of your life. And there's nothing that's more misrepresentative of the gospel than that analogy. Let me tell you, Jesus is not a spoke that you add to your life. Not, not Bible Christianity. There might be a social Christianity. There might be a religious Christianity. There might be a denominational Christianity that operates that way. But Jesus is more than a spoke. Let me tell you, Jesus is the hub. Jesus is the center from which every spoke grows out of. Now, we do need to have these areas of our life, but every area of your life needs to be sanctified by having Jesus Christ at the center of who you are. Um, I, I, I've had a little spell of morbidity the other day, and I thought, well, now I know I, know I look 25, I know that, but I, I got to tell you, I'm 65. I know you don't believe it, but it, it's true, you know. And when you start getting up where you get mail from AARP and from Social Security, you begin to think about how do I want to be remembered? And, and, I, and I wrote a note for my family, you know, thinking about a tombstone. Um, one guy said, uh, you know, uh, he wanted on his tombstone, I told you I was sick. 
Um, I don't want anything like that. I love what one fellow in New England put on his tombstone. He was talking about uh, resurrection and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name was John Pease, P-E-A-S. And this is what is on his tombstone. Um, Pease ain't here. This is just a pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. Well, I like that one too. But I, when I really started thinking about it, this is what I want on my tombstone more than anything else imaginable. And there's a, there's a lot of things that I hope can be said of me. But taking that passage of the scripture, it says, he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. If I can have that said of my life, he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. If my children can think back upon me and say he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit, I would be honored to have that. But loved ones, you've got to understand to have that kind of thing on your tombstone, you've got to have Jesus not as a segment of your life. You've got to have him as the, as the hub of your life. Balaam, who was a prophet in the Old Testament that went bad, he tried to trick Israel into sinning so uh, he could receive the reward of one of the kings that wanted to curse Israel. And Balaam looked on Israel and he said, oh, that I might die the death of the righteous. But I think it was J. Sidlow Baxter who said this, the problem with a man like Balaam saying, oh, that I might uh, die the death of the righteous is that you first have to live the life of the righteous. So what we're talking about in these encounters is moving to the place where we sign up for a journey with God. Now, we're going to begin something today that we will probably do every week in our, in our uh, live streaming because we realize this is one element that our live streaming that's missing and you have to bear with us. We're learning how to do this. But we worship the Lord. We tell you how much he loves you. We give you a sermon that I hope is beneficial to you and then we end. But beginning today, we want to end every service this way on our live stream. We want to give you five minutes or so at the end of the service to simply wait in the presence of God. Uh, I'm going to ask Ryan to come back and he's going to conclude our time to get today with um, uh, five minutes of worship. And wherever you are, this is what I would like you to get accustomed to whether you end up being here or whether you are watching on your computer. I'd like for you to take five minutes to pour your heart into the Lord, to lean into him. You don't have to pray out loud. I know some of you are uncomfortable with that. Some of you may be in a crowd of people in a home or you may be alone. You might have to tailor make the response the way you want to do it. But we're going to ask you to, to say, Lord, what I've heard today, turn my heart toward that. You see, in your notes, there's a little section at the end called Action Steps for the Days Ahead. And I said in those notes, you need to begin to expect God to do five things. And I believe this with all of my heart. Um, 
you need to, number one, expect open heavens. You need to expect that God, especially you new Christians or younger Christians, you need to expect open heavens. You need to understand that heaven will do everything it needs to do to communicate with you. God has spoken to us and is speaking to us through his word. But the Holy Spirit that took up residence in your life when you became a Christian, he's speaking to you as well. So expect open heavens, number one. Number two, expect to see above sea level or live above sea level. And I'm not talking about SEA level. I'm talking about SEE level. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, we follow God, not basing our lives on what is seen. I know that life is good and this world has wonderful pleasures, but all of this is temporary. We live above sea level. Life is made up not of what we see, but of what we can't see primarily. Number three, don't be surprised when God begins to give you new desires. You might find that you've never been really interested in the Bible or never been really interested in prayer, never really interested in church. But all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself with new desires. And when you have these desires, lean into them. Number four, as a result of these new desires, <coughs> excuse me, expect God to give you new disciplines. Now, I'm going to tell you there are days that the call to prayer or the call to the scripture is compelling and overwhelming. And then there are other days that it's not. But don't be afraid to initiate disciplines where you say things like, uh, <coughs> excuse me, whether I feel it or not, I'm going to pray five minutes or 10 minutes today. Begin with the Lord's Prayer. Go online, get a book about praying or get um, copies of some great prayers of, of great Christians. Just develop these disciplines. Um, say I'm going to every day, I'm going to read one chapter a day, you know, or more if you'd like, but establish these new disciplines that'll help you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. God is going to give you new delights, not only new desires and new disciplines, but he's going to give you new delights. And it's going to happen because you're living under an open heaven and God is going to begin to open your eyes to see what you've never seen before. You say, boy, this is, this is kind of a weird experience you're talking about. It is otherworldly. It is supernatural. The Christian life was never designed to be lived in the strength of the flesh. It's designed to be lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's call this five minutes holy adoration. Holy adoration. We're going to end each service with five minutes or, or so of just coming into his presence and saying, Lord, what I've heard today, make it come alive in my life. Lord, help me to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to have encounters with you that'll change the way I live. I believe you'll be happier. I believe you'll be the liver of a more, uh, a more substantive life. And you'll find that there's nothing in the world that takes the place of fellowship. Let me pray for you. And then I'm going to step away and we're going to enter this five minutes of holy adoration. Father, thank you for this beautiful congregation, their love for you, 
their, their desire to walk with you, the desire to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Father, we've, some of us have always had you as a spoke of our life. But we want you not to be a spoke. We want you to be the hub out of which everything grows. Because the scripture says in you, we live and move and have our being. If there's anyone listening that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, give them faith to receive you right now, to call upon the name of the Lord and admit that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Believe that Jesus died a substitutionary death so that we can be saved and to name you as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And Father, right now we can pass from death to life. Help us to be strong. We pray for those that are hurting. We pray for those that are sick. We ask in Jesus' name that you would lift this congregation. <coughs> we ask that you would lift our family today and bless us as we begin to come back together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.